Welcome, everyone, to www.ironradio.org. Uh, this is Lonnie Lowry. I'm a sports nutritionist. Uh, I'm a former competitive bodybuilder, and I'm an exercise physiologist. Hi, everyone. I'm Rob Fortney. I'm a former editor for Muscle Mag International, uh, former competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. And I want to say that for those of you out there who know anything about heavy metal, that intro music is the band Slayer. And for anybody who's interested, tomorrow is actually the International Day of Slayer. So for those of you out there who have any other catalog, make sure you blast it out loud and proud, man. I uh, wish I had prepped uh, for that, uh, but I'll see what I can do last minute. This is Charles Staley, author of Muscle Logic, creator of Escalating Density Training, and I'm a master's category weightlifter. Uh, this is Phil Stevens, uh, competitive power lifter, record holder, and just all-around nice guy. Uh, I'm a coach with Staley Training Systems here. All right, today we're going to start with um, some more reader mail. Uh, this is an individual who actually commented on a couple of things. The first thing he commented on was the experiments versus experience episode that we actually were using as a placeholder when the uh, Iron Radio website launched. And the question that Rob and I were discussing in, in that show was, should I lift or even can I lift heavy over age 40? And Rob and I were going back and forth with some research and some comments and anyway this guy listened to it and here's what he said i say emphatically yes long story short when i was in early high school i got into sports i lifted for a few seasons with my dad and we loved it um, but then we both got massively out of shape he ended up having gastric bypass to stop him from dying of heart problems and diabetes related issues uh and then started uh, lifting again i guess from this newly acquired what he calls anorectic like state uh he goes on to say, I literally woke up in the middle of the night two months ago and went to the gym, threw some iron around, and have been lifting with my father again ever since. I'm 24 years old. My parents were 36 when I was born, so my dad's 60 years old, and he's gone from something like 190 with really no fat and no muscle to 235, pretty lean and mean. He's certainly lifting less than he could a dozen years ago, and he had to start at almost no weight at all, but after 18 months of working at it, he's really making lots of gains and looking good. So back to the topic, uh, we're both working out hard and loving it. So that's cool that just to hear, you know, success stories, I guess, like that, guys who are older guys who are back at it. But also he made some comments um, in a follow-up email. He said, by the way, uh, I really get uh, to work out, I'm sorry, when I get ready to work out, the last two hours uh, at work, I'm generally cleaning up and uh, waiting to leave uh, and get to the gym to work out. So I listen to you guys, and it gets me psyched up. Only so many times can I hear Phil say, just get in the gym and put in the work before I, I'm like, give me an hour, man. So he says, I like it. I'm finally, I'm finally starting to improve my fitness enough to actually push myself and get the impression that I'm going to far exceed my original ideas of what I could be working up to, which is also really motivating. So thanks. So, Phil, you're... Uh, you're part of someone's pre-workout period. He make... <laughs> He's so the motivating. Pre-workout shake. I love it, man. Yeah, on, on that topic, I mean, I can't stress it more than enough either. I mean, I've worked with some, some older people from anywhere from, you know, mid-40s, 50s, and then on up to we have several clients that are in their 70s and, you know, competing for the first time and just seeing the, the awesome games they're making and, and how empowering it is to them mentally and physically. Cool. I think one of the last thing, athletic um, attributes that people um, 
lose as far as their ability to kind of make vast improvements towards it is just strength, no absolute doubt. strength. No doubt. It's yeah. a shame, too, that more people don't find kind of a happy ending with, with, with this type of activity, you know. So few people ever even venture into any kind of organized physical activity, and those that do uh, usually settle into uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, a, a, a relatively poor relationship where, you know, they, they're doing it because they just think they have to and they hate it. But, you know, to, to hear about somebody who's had a rewarding experience, and, and it can be rewarding for anyone. It's just uh, a matter of finding the right kind of scenario, the right kind of activity. And I'm glad to hear that we're part, we're a little part of that. You know, if we add to that guy's motivation, him and his dad, that that's cool. It makes us, you know, worthwhile. I think. <laughs> so totally. All right, uh, Fortress, you've got the topic for the day, right? I do, in fact, and it is um, how does one implement both the squat and uh, deadlift movements. Um, well into a, a routine um, that that's this is something that's plagued competitive and uh, lifters and and just um, hobby lifters alike for years and years because both of them being uh, vying for the title of you know a king of all exercises exercises it's uh, sometimes difficult to kind of work them both in um, and not have one kind of affect the other negatively or otherwise. There's a lot of redundancy between those two lists. I think that's one of the things that contributes to people's confusion. They are very similar in terms of the the total energy they require, the amount of psych they require, the amount of weight that's being lifted, the muscle groups that are being trained. There there are certainly uh, significant technical uh, differences. There's no question about it, but um, uh, they're similar similar kind of beasts, you know, for sure. Absolutely, and we have... A very, very fine deadlifter here in our midst, uh, in Phil, who pulls seven bills, which is, no, I mean, how, how do you work all those things into your, uh, how, how do you manage those two things, Phil, into your uh, routine? It really depends. I mean, what I do is a lot of, my deadlifting is very, very low volume and very heavy to where I'm going in with the plan each week of hitting one to three reps maybe on deadlift. And that I respond real well to that. Um, and, you know, I might only pull from the floor once every six weeks or so. Mostly just rack work then? It's a lot of rack work. And, uh, you know, the lower end and whatnot, I end up bringing it up with, with my squat. And uh, I'm just a firm believer in a lot of the deadlifting. I mean, the deadlift is a move, in my opinion, for the one to three rep range, most of the time in the one rep range. And mm-hmm. you're going to hit more, hit more sets. Well, the interesting thing is, I mean, kind of what deadlift is to you, squat is to me. Um, but I do totally agree with you as far as um, in deadlift routines, um, volume really can destroy. Um, yeah. And you really have to keep, I've, I've discovered that certainly, that if you're doing lots of volume through, you know, lots of sets, lots of reps, that uh, that definitely will impede your progress in the other things. I think it has to be brief, heavy, um, and relatively infrequent. Um, yeah. For it not to uh, be detrimental towards your squat progress as well. You know, I, I want to add something to that as well. That I was just thinking about this last week, and um, it's important to kind of realize too that um, a heavy deadlift for one rep can take a lot longer than virtually any other exercise. Uh, even 
you could actually even do a heavy double in the squat in the same time that you could do a similarly heavy double in the deadlift. And so one of the things that, that I'd like listeners to kind of appreciate is that your ligaments, um, you know, all of your ligaments, but in this case, the ligaments of your low back have kind of an accordion-like structure to them. And um, when when they're under tension, they they lengthen. The, the accordion kind of um, uh, kind of uh, extends, if you will, and that's called ligamentous creep. And that creep takes, um, or I should say, could could take uh, could could set in within three four seconds or so. So, you know, one of the reasons that you don't want to do uh, higher reps on deadlift is 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 not simply just fatigue or that you know, it's the volume is too high or, or that you lose technique or whatever. It's so that the, the duration under the bar is short enough so that you're not inducing that ligamentous creep, which is going to compromise the stability of your low back. So I'll just throw that in there. So that begs the question, Phil, how do you uh, prep for that? I mean, you don't just walk in from paying your bills and, and grab a 700-pound bar and stand up with it, right? Oh, no. I mean, I mean even with uh, – I start off with the bar. And every set of every lift that I do, I mean, that's where I start. And it's lots and lots of warm-up sets. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, but it's only hitting, you know, I may start off with three reps. And then there I go. I slowly work up, you know, usually a plate at a time at first and getting, getting the 500 range. And then it's, it's, uh, you know, at 25 on, you know, and take, take 50 time jumps. From where do you think is the best, uh, percentage range, Phil, for, uh, somebody to, um, maximize their progression in absolute deadlift um what kind of percentage percentage of intensity a percentage of load uh i honestly think if you want to make good progress in a maximal strength deadlift you need to be consistently hitting 90 percent plus easy really all the time yeah now do you are, are you do you pyramid it up to just like one single kind of or a double or do you do like multiple singles, multiple doubles? I, I, I'll do multiple singles. Sometimes, hey, I'm, maybe I go in and say I'm hitting like 6.30 today for six singles. You know, I think it's interesting that you made the mention that you only actually pull from the floor once every like several weeks because um, I've noticed as well that I find the thing that suffers the most in the deadlift um the thing that makes you suffer the most as far as losing strength is actually pulling from the floor too often. Yeah. Um, that, so that pull. And yeah, that initial kind of foot of pull off the floor is, I find the thing that kind of will, yeah, um, derail progress faster than anything. I mean, personally, I don't think there's not a lift out there that, kind of like Charles was alluding to, I mean, a long pull, I've had pulls that I've finished that were like over 10 seconds long. And that's a long damn time to be pulled on a heavy load. Oh, and yeah. it's just the CNS impact that just, you know, you get that, that Elvis shake going on those legs. Or, and, you know, you're just wrecked afterwards. And it's not so much muscular as it is just you feel like you've been hit by a train mentally. You know, you're just kind of down. And you, you can only handle so much of that uh, each week. Um I know at a point, I mean, I made great progress, I guess, up to and about right about 600 pounds. And I deadlift once a week, just plain and simple, both of the floor once a week. And it hit a point where, I mean, I dried up for about a year, and then it was finally back off, you know. Less is more, you know, when you hit a you certain point. You deadlift then once a week? 
Me, I deadlift once a week, but it's like I said, it's not pulling from the floor. Right. It's, now, here's a know. question that I want to put out to the three of you. Um, your opinions. What do you think has more transferable um, benefit? The squat to the deadlift or the deadlift to the squat? Oh, that's a very uh, cool. that's a very good question. Uh, that is a very yes. good question. I'm going to say I think the deadlift will translate to the squat better than the the reverse. Okay. I just think the ability to 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 have that starting strength uh, with you know starting out concentrically because a lot of people. Um, and a lot of good athletes, for that matter, uh, kind of depend a lot on the stretch shortening cycle. And I think the deadlift, uh, you know, forces you to, to get the job done without that, basically. And uh, I, I think that um, I think that just really kind of adds to your stability and your ability to, to produce force. Uh, and, and, and you also learn, it's in a certain respect easier to learn how to stay tight on a deadlift than it is on a squat. So. Uh, but you know, you could certainly mount an argument for for either for either position. The interesting thing is, you usually find that um, the world's gr- um, best squatters are usually not the greatest deadlifters, and I don't know why that phenomenon seems to be. That may have something to do with proportions and arm length and and things like that too. I mean, it, 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 I think it has most of this. I take. I mean, I I'd honestly go the opposite of Charles just because I'm a great deadlifter and a horrible squatter. I you mean, see, that's the it, thing is with me, I consider myself a very good squatter, but I consider myself merely a decent deadlifter. Yeah. Um, and I always would have thought that it would transfer a lot more over, but it doesn't seem to. So I don't I don't know. Cer- certainly, I think um, as far as injury prevention, just uh, physical toughness, definitely. But uh, I, think, I think Charles is on to something there as far as the transferable um, benefit. I think he would go... I was thinking more maybe squat towards the deadlift, but now that we're talking and Charles has said what he says, I'm starting to think maybe that that's probably the more likely case. I mean, me personally as well, I know I can work I can work the squat more. But, you know, why is that? Is that because compared to my deadlift, my squat is very subpar and I'm just not at those limits that I am with my deadlift or... Yeah, is it squat or Phil? Do you care if I ask what are you squatting, like in in meets or what whatnot? Uh, I'm I'm up in the five fifty range. Should be edging towards six here pretty quick. Yeah, I you mean, see, I'm and I'm kind of interestingly enough, it, my squat compared to my deadlift is kind of the same kind of relative distance between each other in the same way, but in reverse with you, Phil. So yeah. Now let's talk a little bit about. The kind of the, the fundamental part of this question, though, is how do you train them um, well within the same routine where, where one is not affecting the other? Because I think anybody who is listening to this knows what I'm talking about. I mean, if you deadlift too close to a squat workout, puts the kibosh on that. And if you deadlift too soon after a squat workout, you're just too damn sore to do it. That's actually where I thought you were going with this from the very beginning is because of the, the multi-joint compound nature of those two things, especially imagine bodybuilders who are trying to split their body into different you know, uh, workout splits from day to day. It, it is a challenge then, isn't it? Absolutely. I, I think, think more uh, bodybuilders, just kind of veering off again off from that topic, but I think more bodybuilders would probably – benefit more from implementing a more um, hybrid-type deadlift into their routine rather than a conventional deadlift or a sumo deadlift, more like a, a stiff-leg-type um, hybrid deadlift. I think more bodybuilders would benefit from that. 
Um, I don't well, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of a stiff-legged deadlift. I still do those from time to time, and that is the one pull I will do for reps. Well, yeah, it's. it's I'll it's do fun. like one set of twenty, you know, and and such. And but um, to get back to your topic, I think another one is people just get a bit closed-minded to the squat and the deadlift, and they forget there are about a hundred thousand variations. And one of the things I go on, I'm I'm kind of a I, I don't know what you call it, a pseudo sumo deadlifter. Now it's a narrow stance sumo. It's because of how I'm duct taped together. But um, <laughs> one thing I find is, you know, I'm right now in training. I'm pulling conventional, the squatting lot, and it's a way to I'm strengthening my back, my my glutes, my hams with the conventional deadlift, and I can still hit about 680 with that. And But then there's not as much, my hips aren't getting beat up each session. Whereas if I was doing deadlifting the other way and squatting that way, you know, one could go the other way. If one's going to deadlift sumo, well, squat narrow, maybe front squat even. Yeah. A little, a little yeah, less carry Reduce redundancy. But where, where are you placing the two workouts um, in any given week, fell in, in the routine? Uh, as far apart as I can. Wednesdays and Saturdays. Wednesdays and Saturdays, right. And you know, I think most people can do that. I mean, I think you can take, you can do a, a a big full body lift heavy like that twice a week. I think everybody can do that. But then the the issue that I always think about is is that there's a, there's a skill component in both of these lifts. And uh, you know, I, I don't know too many people at high levels who are, for example, deadlifting once a week and squatting twice, or yeah. squatting once and deadlifting twice. You kind of are almost limited to doing uh, to squatting once a week and deadlifting once a week. And in terms of skill building, um, that's fairly low frequency. And I think that's one of the things that's difficult to navigate, you know, within the context of a of a weekly cycle. I think the other thing that people need to get off of is the notion that they think they can bring everything up at once, and you really need yep. to pick one. This is an amazing um, topic to get into. Yeah, keep going. I mean, you got to you got to pick one, and um, and if you're lucky, then say you concentrate on squat and and maintain your deadlift, and hopefully the deadlift's going to follow. But definitely give precedence to one lift. I mean, you're really really lucky if you're say a power lifter, and you can bring up all three lifts at one time. Usually, you can bring up two, uh, up the bench and maybe a squat or the bench and the deadlift. But to get all the three to go up at once is, is a real tough thing. I don't think I've ever had an experience that where um, I was bringing all three up at the same time. I think this is a very pertinent point to make because, yeah, I always find that um, the one or two other lifts are always kind of in maintenance mode when when you're kind of the other one. I don't, I don't really know as though I've ever seen anybody be able to make the improvements on two or more lifts at once. Aside from in, in the beginning. Well, that's where, you know, Right, right, right. And things are going to go up. So. Now, in powerlifting competition, you often hear about people taking weeks off uh, from deadlifting before they even hit the meet. Meet. How long before meet do you stop deadlifting, Phil? My last full pull is about a month out. Yeah, that, that seems to be pretty typical for a lot of uh, powerlifters. Um, certainly, I think sometimes it's good to almost overtrain the deadlift to a certain point, and then just take several weeks off. Mm-hmm. And then come back to uh, find yourself amazingly very fresh and very strong. So you oh, think yeah. it's a, is it a nervous system thing? Then you're talking about because you're not going to be losing a lot of muscle mass in a three or four week period, right? So this is neural recovery. Yes. 
and and just flat out getting fresh. <laughs> you know, I mean, because honestly, when you're training at a high level, you from from Saturday to Saturday, I'm not totally recovered. You know, none of us are ever totally recovered. So that time you take off and, and down ramp is just actually the, the best thing you can do. You're not going to get stronger in that last month. The best thing you can do yourself is get healed, get rested. We discussed some research a couple of weeks ago uh, where after a period of layoff, they actually found uh, an increase in uh, type 2 fibers uh, after you know just a period of rest, which really does suggest uh, some adjustment in neural drive, right? Because as Charles always says, the muscles are the slave of the nervous system. And it's an interesting notion to think that after a couple of weeks, even if there might be a very small amount of overall muscle atrophy, there's actually more, you know, uh, fast twitch cross-sectional area there, which uh, it, it goes back to what you're saying about being fresh and, and even the local muscles that, you know, the prime movers in that exercise getting fresh and kind of readjusting to a more explosive, strong state. Now, what do you think, Phil, about um, a lot of talk about um, certain elements of the box squat and so forth being being definitely directly attrib- um, attributed, attributable towards deadlifting improvements? Oh, I, I believe so. I mean, I think that's a reason. I think the box squat is a good reason why my deadlift's pretty high. And then it was also kind of a reason why for a bit my, my squat's kind of low because I relied on the box too much. Okay. And all I did was box squat. And uh, I got the strength out of there, but then, you know, take the box away, and I was I was reliant on the box. Right, So I right. think there's a give and take there. I mean, if you got a weak deadlift and you're a hell of a squatter, yeah, get in and get a box. And go for it. I mean, um, and vice versa. Um, now I just I simplified things, and my squat's been taken off. You know, I just squat. I took away just all the bells and whistles and chains and bands and boxes, and you know, I've been squatting and I've added about it. You know, 100 pounds in a in a fairly short time. Right. What do you think about all this, Lonnie? Do you, what do you think about uh, that type of thing? Well, you know what? One of the questions that comes to my mind is when Phil's talking about hitting 90% in the dead, uh, at a conference a couple of years ago, there was a lot of discussion about comparing and contrasting Eastern Bloc notions with more Western notions, and things may have changed in the last few years, but one of the big discussions and debates was what percent range matters most, and there seemed to be a a bit of a consensus that that 90% Plus range. The more you're in that 90% ish range, um, probably the better overall performance that, say, an international uh, team, you know, will exhibit. And I'm curious, Rob, about how you address the squat. Then, I mean, if Phil's pulling a 90% dead once a week, let's say, what do you do with the squat? It, it is tricky because I've been kind of. This is a good topic to bring up because I've been weighing heavily with this for for. A few years there, I was um, very, very favorably working towards box squats and very uh, low percentages with just acceleration and speed, and trying to work on that. It it certainly did yield some some uh, some d- benefit, but lately I'm starting to think that when I look back over my strongest periods as, as a squatter, I've I've noticed that I was spending quite a lot of time with fairly heavy loads on my back frequently. Um, so I know you know there's lots. Suggesting that you know more than seventy-five, eighty percent, you know, for three, four weeks will lead to overtraining. Um, I think that more has more has more to do with 
um, pushing things towards a negative failure type state rather than just having the load on your back. I think you actually need to have high percentages on your back um, from week to week to kind of get to the point where your your body just acclimates itself to to such a degree that it actually can take those stresses. Mm-hmm. What about rotating in? Do you do any kind of uh, undulating periodization types of things? Do you do? And we were talking last week, of course, about rote periodization has its drawbacks because you're having to predict, you know, how an athlete's going to respond. But do you try to uh, squat heavy one week and then lighten the load the next, or is it like you said, a three or four week stretch of all heavy, heavy loads before you go focused on a little bit more accessory work or speed work or something? Well, I still hold uh, fast the whole idea that I don't want to be uh, putting too many, too heavy a weight on my back for more than you know two, three, four weeks at a time before I'll um, back off or back off completely for the exercise. But more often than not, it's just I'll go down to something like two twenty five or three fifteen and just do like doubles or triples and just maybe do pause squats at the bottom and just trying to move the weight fast or some box squats or something like that. So yeah, I, you can't go too too long, too heavy without definitely suffering something. Um, Even at once a week. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain point where you just start, and all of us here, I'm sure, absolutely know what I'm about to say when I say, um, if you train heavy enough for long enough, you actually start feeling, when you're not in the gym, you start feeling like you're being crushed. Um, I'm sure, Phil, you understand what that means, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you you start actually feeling, even when you're just sitting watching TV, I mean, you, you just start feeling like you're actually being crushed because uh, you've just had too much heavy stuff on you for too long. Um, and at that point, definitely, you have to almost let the um, the accordion, as Phil kind of was saying about the back, you have to kind of let it just expand and kind of just ease off a bit. You're, you're just being too compressed all the time. I mean, that's definitely something that I'm getting more into now, and it's definitely, you gotta you got to get a tune with your body and find out how long you can push things. Yeah. And, you know, it might be five, six weeks for some people. And then if you figure out, let's say, six weeks, then start taking a, a, a down week every five. Beat that cycle. You know, for me, I'm going three hard weeks now, and then I do a back off week, a big deload, and it keeps me progressing. And, um, you know, again, I can hit volume right now. Right now I've been concentrating on a squat, lots and lots of volume and heavy loads. And, uh, yeah, I'm hitting that 90% range of the deadlift, but i got to stress again that it's it's maybe one time out of every five, six weeks I'm from the floor, and the rest of the time it's out of the rack, and, even though I might be doing, say, up to an over 120% of my pull from the floor, it's out of the rack. You know, it's keeping heavy weight in my hands, keeping that load on my spine, and keeping me used to it, but it's not beating me up, and it is one pull. Now, where are you pulling from? Are you just varying the, uh, the the rack height all the time, or are you generally just speaking, pulling from, like, mid-shin? Where are you pulling from? Um, I, I go from as high as up right above the knee for really heavy work to below the knee to mid-shin, you know. And right. I'll work down. Usually I'll work down. I'll start high and then go down. And uh, I got PR set for pretty much every height. So, I mean, you know, the I'll, thing is that people have to remember is if you want to squat and bend, uh, squat and deadlift heavy, you you do have to train heavy. And I, I think a lot of people, with the advent of like a lot of the West Side techniques of acceleration training and box squatting with you know forty five fifty percent percentages and so forth, um, those are great things, but it can't negate the fact that you do have to put something heavy on your back or something heavy in your hands relatively frequently. Um, I think I think a thing that's missed, now that you're talking Westside and whatnot, too, is people, you have Joe Jim out there squatting 
315 pounds for a max, and he's using 50% for his speed work, whereas you have somebody from west side that's squatting 1,000-plus pounds, and he's using five, 600 pounds for his speed work. Big difference there. You know? I mean, but you go well, back also, to there's, realize there's that. A, there's a big difference between 50% with a talented lifter and a non-talented lifter. Exactly. You know, the more talent you have, the better you're recruiting uh, your your muscle fibers. So if you're, uh, you know, a novice or, um, you know, if you're a novice when it comes to pulling heavy weights, 50%, you know, you, you could train 90% five days a week. Yeah. Uh, Phil's 90% is more of a legitimate 90%, and that's why the frequency has to be less. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. People try and put the cart before the horse, and they see all these, you know, routines from very, very talented world-class lifters, and they think that's what I need to do when they just mainly need to, well, like that guy said earlier, shut up and get in the gym. <laughs> it's it's worth it's worth pointing out, too, though, you know, what? when you talk about specificity and, and balance and things like that, that uh, Charles was mentioning skill earlier, and the skill of squatting up and down with a 90% weight or deadlifting in a really high intensity range like that, it's not the same as faster movements with speed work and things like that. Those things are, are great and they're supportive, but you know, there's always that determination of what percentage of your training is going to be spent with direct uh, time under the heavy bar versus supportive conditioning or... Uh, you know, speed work and things like that. And that percentage, I think, is is tough, and maybe that's something that just differs from individual to individual. Boy, I just think that's, that's – you just said a mouthful right there. And, it, you know, if you're you, – you know, you can be making mistakes with 60%, 70% on a squat or a deadlift that you can just manhandle your way through, and you may not even know you're making the error. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and which is – a great rationale for the old adage that you, you treat the empty bar as if it's 500 pounds and you treat 500 pounds like it's the empty bar. Everything has to be treated the same way. Sure. Uh, but, but it's only until you get to a significant weight that, that you're going to find out how good your technique is. Yeah. Right. Part of what made me think about that was a couple of months ago down in Texas at um, the American Society of Exercise Phys Conference, the CrossFit guys were there and – you know, that's the big news to a lot of people these days, or the the fad, or whatever you want to call it. But it really brought up a big audience discussion because there seemed to be this assertion that the majority, uh, even the lion's share of your training, could be uh, general conditioning and other kinds of uh, stuff, as opposed to uh, performance-specific work. You know, skill-specific work. And that didn't go over very big. That th th there seemed to be this stubborn notion from all the PhDs in the audience that listen, you know, you've got to spend a, a large amount of time doing what you want to do on on the platform, you know. So uh, I, I don't know. It's it's just a to me, it's still a question as to what's the best amount of accessory work, percentage wise, compared to you know heavy doubles or triples or something like that. Depends on what you're going for in your sport. Well, yeah, I mean that's a challenge when you when you are kind of a, at a certain level as an athlete, you, a strength athlete. You have to balance and specifically as a power lifter when you when you have to implement the squat and the deadlift in there. I mean, you you have to spend a certain amount of time with heavy weight in your hands and on your back. And how do you 
how do you juggle those two things so you're not uh, defeating the other one? Um, but yeah, without question, as Lonnie is saying, if you want to perform with a certain weight, you can't always be you know performing at you know forty, thirty, fifty percent. At some point, you're going to have to put move some weight and and try that because I can tell you, you know, if you go through a long period of time deadlifting heavy and then you take some time off and you lighten the load for a long time and then come back again it's, it's hard to get your body used to that same with squat i mean it's a big difference to have 405 on your back versus 500 pounds on your back um it just gets it, it, the d- dynamics of the mechanics of the actual lift shift so dramatically i mean you can't squat 315 the way you squat 600 pounds oh, yeah. um, you might think that you're using the te- same technique but there really is a shift in the dynamic of how your body is moving with that weight how the bar whips um, it, it's 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 interesting how the bar kind of whips you at certain points. And your physical structure, right? Physical structure is going to matter there too. You and Phil uh, are you're fairly big boned guys. I mean, when I have four ninety five on my back, it, it really rang true when Phil was talking about his legs shaking. My I'm a small framed person, and my whole body is shaking just to stand with that weight, let alone squat it up and down two or three times. You know. So, I mean, there's a huge difference in individuals just based on frame size, too. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the heavy weight will pull you and bend you in ways that you never thought. Um, and you have to take that into consideration, too, because as, as uh, you know, um, Charles was talking about um, technique and so forth. But, I mean, you, you go to a power powerlifting meet, you see the deadlifts, and people are not pulling limit deadlifts and looking very good in their technique. Um, and like Phil's saying, sometimes, you know, you can be pulling eight, ten seconds on one one rep. So you have to factor that in as well, that you maybe sometimes shouldn't train always with perfect technique. Maybe sometimes you should train with less than perfect technique to strengthen those parts of the body that um, might get called into play when, you know, when, when your, your technique is deteriorating and but you're still going to muscle it through, you know? Oh, for sure. And, and the strength moves... Um Squat bench and deadlift. I mean, if it if it was pretty and somebody made it look easy, it, it wasn't a true PR. I was going to say they left weight on the bike. PRs are ugly, and you know they're always going to be ugly. And then you you get stronger and make them pretty later. You know that first time. I mean, it's kind of like the first time you have sex. I guess it ain't, it ain't a pretty thing. <laughs> you know, it's kind of sloppy and dirty, and you know. okay, okay. <laughs> We're drifting. Now we're drifting. <laughs> what do you think, Phil, about um, you? You deadlift every week um, and squat every week. What, what do you think about something like squatting every week but deadlifting every second week, or vice versa? What, what do you think about that? I mean, I could see that, but again, for me, I mean, I've just found it works. I need to get. I found I gotta have six hundred pounds in my hand. That's my goal. Every week, and that keeps me progressing. Okay, you know, and that's so less you know, than that. You're saying is 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 not optimal for you. Yeah, it just didn't work. I mean, I start to lose things, and when I come back to it, stuff feels heavy. Okay, you know, if I don't touch that, I mean, things start feeling heavy. You know, you come back to pull you in ninety percent. You're like, wow, you know, that's it's just a matter of staying used to. It. Like you guys are talking about the squat. I think a lot of that feeling the weight on your back is just mentally. And they're really getting used to having heavy, heavy weight on your back. I mean, in time, it gets comfortable just standing there with it. You know, and I can't, uh, you know, stress that this enough, that you, you really do have to get used to holding um, or having heavy weight on you. Um, it's 
it's remarkable how quickly you might not even lose the strength um, or, or or atrophy. Mm-hmm. It's just that you lose that sense of um, that weight on your in your hands, it, it, and it goes very rapidly if you, if you don't stick with it. Really, you lose that sense of comfort because you do end up getting this. Oh, okay, this isn't so bad. Oh yeah, you know, that first time you unwrap a new weight on your shoulders, like whoa. You know, I don't care if it's five extra pounds. It usually feels damn heavy. It's a lot of that's just mentally, you know, being there. Like a kid Um, said to me in the gym the other week, I was using just 405, and he was saying, oh, my God, that's heavy, that's so heavy, that's so heavy. And I was like, well, it's all relative. But the point being is I said it it is heavy, but you can't think of it in that way, but you have to get used to it. I mean, it doesn't matter. I can tell you right now that 405 feels the same to me on my back now as it did when I, my back squat was 500 versus 600 versus more. It it always feels like 405. I don't. I think that would be true for somebody who can squat 900 pounds. You know what I mean? Yeah. 405 is always going to feel like 405. I mean, it's heavy regardless of whether you can actually move it or not. It feels heavy. The, the difference is, um, like you were saying, your um, your trained expectancy of what that feels like. So when you put it on your back or grab it in your hands, all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, I forgot how heavy this is. You know? It has to be very yeah. fresh in your mind what that feels like. Yeah. Um, I think another thing to hit on here is that um, the, the definition of a PR, I guess. I think people are a bit too close-minded about that. And uh, they think, you know, week to week I need to be able to go in and hit an extra pound or two or whatnot. And... You know, what I'd urge everybody to do is just get a very, very broad definition of PR. You know, and it's, maybe it's one more rep at the same weight. Maybe it's one more set with the same reps at the same weight. Um, I mean, okay, I honestly so you're going, yeah. pages of, you know, I probably have 130 different bench presses I do. PRs. And, sure, sure, yeah. And it might be, you know, okay, I've squatted that. I've squatted 500 for a double for two sets. Okay, well, I've never done it for four singles. <laughs> you know, hey, there's a PR, you know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Especially the more advanced you get. Well, I mean, yeah, I, yeah I, and I mean, absolutely. I mean, you just get, um, I mean, just like you're saying, there's so many variations of the deadlift and the squat. There's so many different ways you can do these two exercises. It's it's yeah. it's almost absurd how many different ways you can perform them, and, and it, that, that extends to, yeah, um, you know, rankings of your performance for reps, sets, Anything, yeah. And I think it's also just gaining a bit of maturity. I think, number one, I love having a plan. but And I think a lot of people need to have a plan and for a long while just stick to that and go make that happen. But I think as you advance, you need to have that plan and then gain the maturity. You know, after you've gained the maturity to stick to something, you need to then gain the maturity to deviate from your plan. There's days, hey, I got it written down in paper. I'm supposed to go hit this for this many reps, and I walk in there and things feel heavy. And you got to have the maturity then to change your plan. You know, wow, the heavy weights are feeling heavy today, but I think I can rep something out. So I'm going to take, you know, take what's given to you that day. Work hard at what you can get done. Right. And, and walk away happy. Here's a question for all of you guys. How long do you think that maturity takes to develop? I mean, a young guy, I wouldn't want to see a... 20-year-old guy go in and go, nah, I don't feel like squatting today, not doing it. You know, that's not the same. Yeah. I mean, Are right? you including the possibility of reincarnation? or is it just, uh... <laughs> I, For me, I would say minimum several years. Oh, yeah. Uh, 10 years, uh, kind of 7, 10 years before you can, and, and that's consistent. That's not, 
these guys who say, yeah, I trained hard for four months, then took seven months off, then trained for a year, then took... I'm talking like seven to ten years of consistent, intense training before you really even have that radar detector um, honed to such a degree that you can actually make those kind of judgments. You guys agree? Or? It's an evolving process. I, I don't think you ever get there per se. I just think well, no, it's, no. it's a skill that... that, that uh, Slowly evolves, you know, over years and years and years, and uh, and I think uh, it's yeah. Like I think it's tough. I mean, like Charles saying, it's kind of not cut and dry, because there are still days I walk in the gym and I'll be like, oh, I should change my plan, and no, I'm just being a puss that day, and I need to just tell myself, no, get under the damn bar and do it. And it's it gets real hard to know the difference even now between yep. man, what days do I change plans and what day do I just am I just not doing it, and I need to just force myself to go. Well, you know, it's interesting because after I had been training for 12, 13, 14 years, there, there was a point where I um, sometimes would just blow off a training session, but it wasn't because I was lazy or so forth, but I would still feel very guilty about it because yeah. we all know what that feels like, that whole, oh, yeah. I missed a workout, I didn't. But, you know, in the last five years or so, I mean, it doesn't happen frequently, maybe two or three times a year. Um, interestingly enough, this just happened probably about a week ago. But I actually drove to the gym after all of my, you know, pre-prep and everything. I went there, and I had a nagging thing, but I just kind of squashed it uh, with my testicular fortitude and went to the gym. Um, and you know what? I did one set, grabbed my stuff with no guilt whatsoever, and walked out again. Um, and I think, as Charles is saying, you know, you get to a point, though, where you evolve to that point where the, the, even the guilt is no longer because you just trust in your in your instinct of how things feel and you know I just knew I shouldn't be there that day there was just something you know and I gave it a shot did a set and all the signals were wrong so I, I just left and I, well, didn't, a, I didn't think twice about it discipline is not forcing things stupidly exactly I mean exactly discipline, there's, there's nothing heroic about the root of discipline is the word disciple you know discipline means to learn means to what sorry it means to learn. The root word of discipline is disciple. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, I don't know. I think that was a pretty good topic. Does anybody uh, have anything else they want to add to this? Well, maybe we can summarize. Well, I think I think what it comes down to is that we're saying that uh, certainly implementing both uh, squat, um, the squat and deadlift into your routine is, is obviously very doable. People have been doing it for years. The point is you have to find that kind of um, bridge between training and overtraining each one to a degree where they're not kind of overlapping each other in a negative way. Um, Phil does each uh, lift every week. I've heard some people doing, like I said, deadlifting over only every second or third week and squatting every week or vice versa. So I, I think it's one of those things where you have to kind of play around with it and find where you go. But you definitely have to use a certain degree of uh, load to see, to see uh, benefit and that it's unlikely you're going to see major improvements in both at the same time. Uh, more often than not, you might have one that's just maintaining and one that is going up. So, yeah. I do have one more thing, actually. Uh, thank you. Um, squat, deadlift. Um, where, where would you rank each one as, you know, say the uh, one that's best for limit strength and one that's best for body composition? <laughs> wow. Uh, my, my knee-jerk reaction to that is whatever one you're better at. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, no, I can do that. There's a lot to be said for that. You know, you, you want to use drills that, that kind of uh, 
exploit your natural leverages and, and things like that. So uh, part of it is to do whatever's better for you. But most people I know, and, and I suspect Phil is going to agree with me on this because we've discussed this before, but uh, um, squatting seems to be a better hypertrophy exercise, and that probably has to do with the fact that there's more of an eccentric component to it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely would agree with that. I think if I wanted to put muscular body weight on a, per, on a person, the very first thing I'd look at is the squat, for sure. You, you can make an argument. That, that being said, not to contradict myself, but you can make an argument that the deadlift trains more muscle because uh, you have a lot, you, you know, you're, you're, you have the bar in your hands. There's a lot more toll on the upper back. So uh, there, there's a couple of different ways you can do that. But, but uh, my vote is uh, squat for hypertrophy, uh, deadlift for maximum strength. All right. All right. Yes. So I guess that's that was a good, good one. Yeah, it was a good one. Thanks, guys. Can do this forever. And uh, yeah. listeners, we'll uh, look forward to having you listen back to us next week uh, with a new topic. Until then. Enjoy. Also seek the help of regular dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists or 